Hey guys, welcome to episode 50 of the San Antonio Soul Shop Talk podcast. Special because it's 50. And we have Robert. So today we're going to, um, like the full show will be posted in audio form. Um, and then for YouTube, I'm going to split this up into three segments. So we'll do like three 15 or so minute um, episodes because YouTube really, really hates when I post long things there and nobody watches them. So hopefully this works good. Um, so the first thing I just had questions for you on this one. Um, like I want to talk about what is it, what are the expectations that people might have that are like maybe not accurate to like what a shop can provide service wise or like, like, is there like questions that you get asked frequently, um, that like maybe aren't the right questions. Um, I guess, um, the dynamic of when you contact the shop, what should the expectation be for like their service and like time and like what you can expect from that? Um, so I guess start off one of the, the, the questions, probably the number one question we get is, you know, a customer calls says, Hey, what's wrong with my truck? It's making this noise. Right. And we're expected to know over the phone what's wrong with their truck, Yeah, which we can't do. We, you know, every truck is typically set up different. It, it could be anything. So we, we, first we have to get the customer in, we have to schedule them for some time to diagnose their vehicle. Yeah. <clears throat> and sometimes that customer feels like they're paying for a diagnosis. They're not necessarily paying for our time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like paying for the diagnosis being that whatever you're paying for, like it's a product. Right. It's a guarantee that they're going to receive right for this price. And unfortunately, um, that's not always the case. Yeah. A lot of the times it is. A lot of the times we can figure something out. And, and a lot of the times, um, you have an idea of what's wrong with the truck just by looking at the work order and seeing what the concern is, but sure. That's not always the case. Um, sometimes it, you know, it takes quite a bit of testing to determine what the the problem is and then identify, you know, what caused that to happen. Well, and I think probably <clears throat> some of the confusion with that would be um like when you when you quote a time, like like you have a minimum time, right? You say like, well, to like the starting price or the starting thing is we're gonna charge you for an hour of labor. Um, for diagnostics, but that isn't a guarantee. Like we'll find an answer in an hour. Like it may be more than that. It, you find that like maybe a lot of people don't understand that completely. Yeah. And I, uh, <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot lately about changing the term that we use to uh, testing. You mm-hmm. know, we're going to test your vehicle to see what we can, what faults we can find. Yeah. Um, instead of, you know, you're paying us for a diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that is kind of, it is kind of confusing because yeah. there's been a couple of times I know like where people have been disappointed after paying for diagnostics or like if a problem doesn't present itself when we have a truck, it's like, well, how much time can, how much time do you want to pay for us to keep trying to recreate something that happened? And that can get pretty expensive, especially when like you still have to pay for us to do it, even if we don't find the answer. Yeah. And there's been issues with that in the past. Unfortunately. Yeah. And that's another thing too. Um, you know, you get an intermittent electrical concern with the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be present for us to diagnose it. Yeah. So we get the truck in, you know, you're driving this truck down the road and once, you know, maybe one or two times a month, it does something that you're concerned about. That's going to be a very difficult, uh, you know, concern for us to. Yeah. Diagnose. So what does that look like? If somebody, if somebody has a problem like that and like you take the truck in and you charge a couple hours to look at it, it's not like the problem isn't present. Um, I know like 
here and probably a lot of shops, you are <clears throat> scheduled pretty far out. Like we're scheduled a month or whatever out. Um, like if the problem presents itself again, like, is it, you just say, bring it back when it has an issue or just like reschedule a time when it has an issue. Um, typically we will work with the customer and, you know, try to be as reasonable as we can to yeah. get them in and get it figured out. Um, that being said, it really depends on what the concern is. Yeah. You know, if it's something that even when present is going to take a lot of time to, you know, dig in and figure out what's going on, then we, you know, it just creates a really difficult concern. So, yeah. And I can imagine too, it's probably, um, like, I don't know. I, I know like what I've learned over time is having like very strict policies about like what we will and won't provide time or service wise, at least for like our online support and everything. And then being willing to make exceptions to that, you know, uh, it's much easier to have a policy that's strict and then to make an exception than it is to not have a policy and then just create confusion with everybody. Yeah. And sure. I think that's something that you learn the longer you're in business, as long as like you're in the morally right place to care. Um, it's, uh, there's certainly a lot to learn about that. Yeah. So I guess that leads into the next, uh, question I have for you. And like, like what does a shop, like how does a shop operate? Like if, if you've, you've brought a truck in, let's say for like, uh, maintenance instead of repair, uh, what actually goes on behind the scenes, like scheduling, getting products, um, like scheduling the right tech for the job, like choosing the right person for the job. Like what does all of that look like behind the scenes? Um, it gets challenging, especially where we're at because we work on diesels and a lot of the times diesels are very labor intensive to perform repairs on. Yeah. And a lot of the times like, Hey, uh, you know, we got a truck in for check engine light. This could be a, you know, half hour repair. Yeah. Or this could be a 30 hour repair. Yeah. Not sure yet. So it gets very hard to, to schedule those repairs. <clears throat> um, you know, typically what we'll, we'll get a truck on the schedule. When that day comes, the truck comes into the shop. Um, we kind of work it in, you know, every day we don't start with empty bays, so we can't just bring it in first thing. And, and a lot of the times the customer isn't there yeah. at the being of the day, but getting on the schedule gets you that position in line. Um, and we, we, you know, uh, typically we will get that truck in and at least get an answer to the customer mm. the same day. You know, your check engine light is caused by, you know, a def tank heater or whatever. We'll, we'll at least get that information back to the customer. We'll perform an inspection on the vehicle. Um, what does a inspection look like? Is that something like somebody would need to request isn't and pay for, or what is that? You know, every truck we get in the shop, we, we do an inspection on basically we make sure, um, that the little things don't turn into big things. We try to find, you know, a little leak or, you know, your brake pads are low or you got a wheel bearing that's starting to make some noise. Try to find those things before they become an issue. And you're just doing that to make as much money as possible, right? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> it, it, I think it ends up saving the customer a lot of, yeah, a lot of money in the end. Yeah. Um, it ensures that they have a reliable, safe vehicle to drive. Yeah. Um, and ensures that, you know, I, I share the road. My family shares the road with these guys. Yep. Um, and we all want to, you know, get home safely. So, well, and like, like you said, the, like the reason for that, like, yeah, if there's a problem, I just give an example and I might be wrong here. Like your brake pads are low. Well, potentially if your brake pads are low and you don't notice it and you end up wearing through them and then you ruin your rotors, 
and your brake uh, and you need brake pads and like that's going to end up costing more than just replacing your brake pads like just a yeah. simple example of like like it is it's not just like you know shops aren't just giving you more things that are wrong with your vehicle um absolutely like and it, it is something that could leave you stranded you know you end up pushing the caliper piston out you're gonna you're not going to be able to safely stop especially if you're towing a trailer and yeah safest way to get it to the shop would be to tow it so that would be a real inconvenience instead of just you know hey man you're Got your truck in for an oil change. We notice these things too. Yeah. Might be a good time to take care of them. Yeah. So let's say, let's say it's just, it's just maintenance and you just, it's just an oil change. Um, do you guys schedule, like, I guess we don't do a lot of just like general maintenance, do we? I mean, is it? Um, we do have some customers that would prefer a, uh, you know, specialized diesel shop do the maintenance on their vehicles. Um, but for the most part, we don't advertise for basic maintenance. It's yeah, um, it's not something that we are really known for. We're known for a lot of the hard to perform tasks, like diagnosing drivability concerns and check engine lights and stuff like that on diesels. So. Well, and that's a very it's a very different business. Like yeah. general um, maintenance is like I know we've talked about like we would like to like operate like almost separately from the shop, like maintenance. It's like almost like it's two different things. You have to have like two different departments almost because it's completely different, especially when it comes to scheduling. Yeah. Scheduling, especially with, with uh, you know, a shop that performs the the easier stuff, the basic maintenance stuff, brake pads, front end work, oil changes, stuff like that. The, the car count has to be high yeah. in order to maintain profitability. And right now our car count is extremely low um, because we're, you know, averaging 15, 20 hours labor on each ticket. Yeah. Um, it, uh, you know, it, it would be a completely different process compared to what we have now in place to manage that type of shop. So is that something that you think like we ever would do like in this building or you think if you wanted to get into more maintenance stuff, if ever, would it be just like totally separate, like try to split it off into two different, um, it would be nice to have a, a, you know, another building that's set up more for uh, the flow of vehicles in and out, in and out. Yeah. Um, but it, it could be done in the shop. So I know this is one thing that I uh, had an issue with. I my so I was had some body damage to my Equinox, and uh, the shop that the car's at, I had originally taken it in, and then. Uh, like it was scheduled, got all the parts delivered. Um, and it was going to be like way too long. So I just thought, took it back, brought it back again, like two weeks ago. And like what I get told frequently is it's not ready yet. We're waiting for like available text to fix it. So I guess from the scheduling side and you know, every shop is probably going to be different and auto bodies a little bit different, but like scheduling wise, like for me, it's a little bit easy to be frustrated. It's like, well, I have to pay for a rental car. I would like the, I would like to bring my vehicle to you when you actually have time to fix it. I don't care when that is. You know what I mean? Do you, I mean, I, I guess I imagine body work somewhat is the same as like longer repair work that you guys do when it comes to scheduling. Do you see issues like that in the shop where it's like, do you try to predict, um, to where like you get a vehicle within like a day that you can do 30 hours of repair on it? Or do you try to say like, well, you need it like a week at a time. We'll fit it in as soon as we can. Like, what does that look like? Um, so we schedule uh, basically two vehicles a day. 
Um, and that seems to be working pretty good. When we get the truck in, like I said, we do an inspection. We typically find some concerns that need to be repaired, and that keeps us busy. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is something like uh, you know, like a head gasket failure, or or we see signs of a head gasket failure, like you know, your cooling system is starting to get pressurized. Yeah. Um, when it shouldn't be, um, you're starting to have a little bit of uh, coolant flowing out of the degas bottle. Um, we need to you know schedule this repair. Uh, at that point, if we get the customer to sign off on it and we'll get the parts coming and they can continue to drive their vehicle until we can get the parts here and schedule them in for the repair. So that, that really shortens the amount of time that they are without their vehicle. Yeah. Um, and we try to do that as much as possible for, uh, for one, we really don't have a ton of room to be parking, you know, vehicles outside that are yeah not currently being repaired. And two, I, it, just like you said, it, it's really inconvenience that, you know, they're without their trucks. Yeah, I didn't like. I, I guess I don't really think too much about. Hadn't thought a lot about the inconvenience of like it's kind of a pain to like get a ride and like get a vehicle to a shop and then what are you going to drive when your vehicle's there and how are yeah. you going to get it back when it's time? Like that is, uh, it's not very convenient. Definitely. So we need a fleet of Teslas. To There's nothing convenient about your vehicle breaking. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so the inspections are important. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. All right, let's talk about something fun for a minute. Uh, I want to know what your favorite builds you've done are, whether it be something in the shop or um, like your own personal vehicles or, or maybe one of each. Um, favorite so, builds, like for me, I enjoy uh, like Dane Garber. Um, we were building his dream truck. And even though it wasn't really a truck that I would build for myself, mm-hmm. um, I just enjoyed helping him achieve that. And we, you know, we did a lot of work on that thing. Yeah. It it was just cool providing that service for him. You know, that was probably one of my favorite builds that we've done in the shop. And, and he's been like using that truck to haul his camp around the country for like four years now. Yeah. seems like he's pretty happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably one of my favorite. I, that was back when we were working in my garage, you know? Yeah. Um, back in the day, but, uh, good old days. It's amazing how fast things have changed. Yeah. So what are we doing that thing? The S three sixty six, two thirty one hundreds ish. Yeah, I think it was two full force two fifty one hundreds. Uh, Borg Warner S three sixty six, an I rate T four mount. I, I think we did an I rate fuel system on it too, but I can't remember. Maybe it was something else. I think he came in originally. That was one of my first experience with a fast system on a seven three, where it like f- fed the stock pump. Yeah. <laughs> what is the point of that? Um, extra filtration, I guess. But uh, anyway, I don't remember what the fuel system was, but um, definitely, especially now, that is not a build I would have recommended because I think he was on like 37s. Um, yeah, with like 373s. Yeah, and he's towing like a 40-foot gooseneck. <laughs> yeah. But he's happy. Seems to work good. Uh, that was an irate fuel. So that was the first new style billet block Oh yeah. I rate feels some ever installed. Yeah. Uh, I think he had adrenaline H pop and I don't remember what his transmission was. Was it a BD transmission? I remember it was something weird that I, I was surprised it worked and didn't and still works. Yeah. So that one was fun. Have you done anything like more recent that you really, really enjoyed? Um, Carl's truck is coming together pretty nice. It's a 2009 Dodge did the, Carly Dominator kit, I believe. 
Um, there's the kit one step below coilover, coilover shock. So it's got some huge King three inch um, reservoir shocks. Yeah. Long arm kit, the long, the, the you know, um, control arms on that thing are four, four and a half foot long. They're huge. Um, that thing looked pretty beastly. <laughs> yeah. So that is, it's a really involved lift kit to install, but it's a really high quality one. And uh, some 60% uh, 10 mil pump. Uh, built the 68 in that thing. Uh, 456 gears. I mean, that, that, that truck's getting a lot of stuff, but it's, it's going to be a really cool truck when it's done. Yeah. And he's using it. He's going to have like a camper or something in it and just be like basically like trying to overland with it or what? Pretty much. Yeah. He's going to be you know, his overland truck. He's going to run it up and down the hall road to go hunting. And I don't, I don't know what else he's planning on doing with it, but pretty cool rig either way. Yeah. It, it's, it's going to be fun. A, a truck that is more or less set up to go airborne with you know, getting a full front axle truss. That thing. So, so do you have a waiver that you get to try to airborne it before you give it to the customer? Oh, he just gave to test me it? full permission. He said he's putting me on his insurance. <laughs> and I get to ensure it's going to be good enough for him. So that's awesome. Yeah. How about personal rigs? What's your favorite uh, personal rig you built? <laughs> um. Actually, before that, are you dismantling your your dually? Uh, are you taking it back to a reasonable level? It's not mine anymore. It's okay, started. it's Brooks. So Does she want to go to go back to a reasonable level? No, but I I want to work on it as little as possible. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to bring it down a little bit closer to stock. You don't? It's not. You don't like driving S four seventy six and two hundred percent. Ah, I mean it, it's fun, but I don't know. It, it 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 could be a little bit funner, I guess. Yeah. Um, not having to, you know. Pay attention to how hard you push the pedal when you're trying to split that thing up or yeah, being scared of blacking out the highway. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that like, like a, like an S 64 and like 30% is probably like a nice daily driver. Yeah. And it, it'd be bigger. cool not to like, you know, be scared to drive to Anchorage and break down on the highway Yeah, with my 16 month old son. So, okay. Sorry. What's your favorite personal truck build? Um, and that dually has been fun. It, it's just been kind of a really slow progression over time. You know, I bought that thing bone stock and it ended up where it's at now with 350, 200s, dual pumps. And you basically had like every combination up to this pretty much. Yeah. Over the years. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of fun. Um, my six, seven was a lot of fun too. Um, it is currently downstairs with the cab off, getting a new short block though, because Rod came out the side. It's impressive it lasted that long though. Yeah, like, yeah. I put those compounds on and it had ninety six thousand miles. Yeah, and that was a twenty fifteen. Yeah. So weren't exactly known for like the strongest rods ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it, I mean it made it fifty thousand miles of pretty hard miles. Yeah. So. Are you like in a love relationship with your Fummins or is it uh, kind of turning into like a lot of work to keep it running nicely? It, uh, it needed a lot of little things when I got it. So it's been kind of fun to, I haven't really messed around with the 12 valves a whole lot either. So it's been kind of fun, you know, getting the 
the pump dialed in to where it drives, you know, fairly smoke free and trying out different, uh, different setups on it. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun to drive, you know, uh, it's got a P pump and a newer truck. So it's just instant throttle response. And yeah, I, I enjoy that thing a lot. Do you like the five R um, behind the 12 valve? I do. Um, being able to tune it myself is probably what, uh, makes me like it so much. I think it would be kind of difficult for somebody that didn't have that ability to tune the transmission to make it shift however they wanted or do whatever they wanted. You know, if, if you were relying on somebody else to send you a tune, yeah, it might get a little frustrating, but I like it a lot. Um, I wish it was a six speed and I had two overdrives, but yeah, well, I, I, we see that a lot. Um, I remember like, well, back in the day when I was tuning five hours, um, and there was a, several 12 valves that like, I didn't, I don't think I ever even tried to get anybody. It wasn't local. I was like, it's not worth it. Cause even, even if you can drive the truck and this is like a misconception, I think too, with, with, you know, paying for live tuning, like if you're, there, there's different kinds of live tuning, like the gas world, it'd be like on a dyno data logging, like making sure that everything is right. Um, but more so like with diesels, it would be like road tuning. Like how does the truck drive and respond? And really it's not going to gain you a lot if you don't have like a lot of time in it. And like, there's always going to be some situation that presents itself that the truck is going to do something you don't want it to do. And you're not going to find all of those, um, in a couple hours. Like you could drive it for a month and then find like, oh, I wish it was a little different here. Or like with your, your 12 valve, it's like, well, it was running great. And then it got hot out. Now air density is a lot lower and now it hazes and I need to clean that up, you know? Yeah. So that's something we, you know, people ask all the time, like, well, when are you going to be doing live tuning again? Um, or are you going to be live tuning? It's like, no, I, I, if you want me to drive your truck for like a month, I could probably get it pretty good. Otherwise I, I feel like that's a month is probably like the amount of time that it would take to really dial yeah. something. And I, I still like, I, I probably have 40 revisions on the trans file on that thing. And I, I still, I'll drive it for a week. And I'm like, you know, which the converter was unlocked right here. Mm-hmm. And that's on something you have more control of too, which I mean, it's more complicated, but it is nice having a little better control of just having an extra gear and way better control of the converter. Um, it's even worse when you only have four gears and a converter that does, what it does wants. whatever it wants to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna ask your opinion on something too, because this, this comes up a lot. Uh, locking the converter and second gear on an E4 OD or 4 100 or not locking it in second gear. Do you think that it's harder on a transmission to lock in second gear? Like let's say a 500 horsepower build. Um, a lot of builders, several builders now are saying like, we don't want you to lock the converter in second gear um, because it will break the forward drum or something. If you don't have a build it forward drum um, from the factory, these trucks locked in second gear, like a lot of times you wouldn't notice it unless you have like big tires, you're low on power or you're towing. Cause it is somewhat over time. Like you have to, like you have to have your pedal foot in the pedal hard enough somewhere around like 80% over 80%. And it has to be for long enough where like, if you make a lot of power and you're like not towing, you're going to get through second gear so fast. Like it may not, it may not lock. 
And there's some situations too, where it's like, you know, if you get through first and then floor it when you're in second, it may not lock in second anyway, just cause there's not enough time. But like if you're towing, like the purpose is if you're, if you're towing and you put your foot at the floor, um, it, you are going to spend longer in second gear. And so the converter will lock in second gear. That was originally the point of it. Um, the problem with the argument that you shouldn't lock in second gear and you should lock in third on a like high power truck is when the, if you're under that much load, like wide open throttle, you blow through first, you blow through second, you get to third, you're at 3000 RPM at a high ratio. You're going to drop like 12, 1300 RPM when the converter locks. Yeah. And that is hard as hell on everything. Yeah. And if, you know, if you're in a racing situation, probably a snuff out the charger too. Yeah. Unless you're running up to 4,000 or 4,500 or whatever, which seven threes don't really yeah. do very well. Well, yeah. And even then, yeah, it's not applicable, I guess, to this, but even then if the converter, if the converter was unlocked, like it's still going to be a huge RPM drop, like even more so at a higher RPM. So Personally, I, mean, I, I think a second lockup is very useful for slow speed towing. Like if you're up here in Alaska, a lot of the times hunting season, especially guys will be towing their giant toy hauler mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere, going up the side of a mountain at yeah. slow speeds and first and second gear. And they don't realize it, but they're cooking that transmission unless they can get that converter lockup. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a lot of the reason why there is a second gear lockup. And then, you know, in performance applications, just like you said, it's a pretty big RPM drop, which is hard on parts. Yeah. Hard on clutch linings, hard on hard on a lot of stuff when you drop that much RPM in a short amount of time. Um, uh, so I'd say the solution then to that is um, if you're concerned about breaking, let's say, a forward drum at that power level, and then you should be paying for a billet forward drum. Or whatever the component is that's the concern that it would break. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would prefer to have the ability to lock it up in second if I wanted to. Yeah. And if uh, that means I have to buy a billet for a drum, then I got to buy a billet for a drum. Yeah. It's expensive to build trucks and make power. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Don't ruin a 500 horsepower build by saving 800 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I appreciate you joining me for episode 50. Yeah. You can join me again on episode 100. Maybe a few in between. That'd be sweet. (laughs) You guys, let me know if you think that Robert should host the show since he actually knows things and I just talk about nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Robert's like, nah, I don't want to, man. (laughs) Don't say that. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, We'll see you on uh, episode 51. Thanks, Robert. Thank you.